welcome to I Heard It on the Coffee Vine, the podcast from Europe's favorite coffee subscription service and globally trusted coffee blog. I'm your host and Coffee Vine founder, Alex Kitain, and in this podcast, I interview coffee roasters, baristas, growers, scientists, innovators, and other interesting people who love specialty coffee. All right. Today we're speaking about regenerative agriculture in coffee and how this practice is starting to gain momentum across the world. Broadly speaking, regenerative agriculture is a form of farming that focuses on building robust biodiversity, healthy soils and consistent yields without the need for synthetic inputs like chemical fertilizers, pesticides and herbicides. In an age where climate change is becoming an ever bigger threat to coffee and food production in general, we have to look for ways to work together with nature to protect our environments and our food supply chains. To discuss this super interesting topic, I'm joined by two guests. Lennart Klerks is the founder of This Side Up, a small specialty coffee sourcing company that connects smallholder growers and roasters in a short and fair value chain. It was founded in 2013, incidentally the same year that I founded The Coffee Vine, and we've been friends ever since. As a matter of fact, it is exactly 10 years ago that I first interviewed Lennart. Couldn't have picked a better moment to have him back as my guest again. We're also joined by Adri Yahidian. Uh, Adri is co-founder and main partner of Otto Soro Coffee. I hope I pronounced that correctly. A coffee processor ex and exporting company based in Indonesia, and he's been working closely with Lennart on various regenerative agriculture projects. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Great to be on the show. <laughs> Great. Um, well, then. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Leonard, since uh, the last time I interviewed you was uh, uh, during the second edition of the Virtual Coffee Festival in 2020, and we spoke mainly about Robusta, so a lot of things have changed since then, and today we're going to be talking about something very different, which is also extremely interesting. Um, I would love to maybe give you the word to begin with. Um, can you explain to us what is regenerative agriculture? Wow, yeah, you already gave a uh, very good uh overall definition of it indeed um working with nature to create crops um is 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 a good definition i think the main shift that needs to occur is that when we think about agriculture we think we have a piece of land and then we think um what do i what do i want from it i'm going to plant something i don't care what the soil or what whatever what the surroundings are like I'm going to make it do what I want it to do. Uh, regenerative agriculture turns that around and says, how do I serve the land? How do I serve the soil? How do I um, work with the rules of nature, which are far superior than the rules that we've created? Uh, actually, you know, in, in many cases, uh, or in all cases, nature has the superior technology uh, when it comes to soil management. Uh, when it comes to uh, creating healthy crops. So it's it's really about understanding nature and then nudging it in a way to produce healthy crops uh, while maintaining and increasing biodiversity, soil health, and carbon storage, um, bird life, you name it. And in the end, you will see it also in the quality of the coffee in any of your crop. So, Yeah, because uh, at the end of the day, you know, we've kind of you know, been for many decades now in a kind of age where everything is almost like industrially produced, you know, we have all the crops, everything available year round, everything has to be made on mass. And we have kind of lost touch with uh, with nature also as consumers, I think, you know, a lot of people 
um, often don't even know where certain products come from. You know, I mean, I, I don't know um, if this is still the case, but, you know, there was this story once uh, that children in America didn't even know that milk came from cows. So I think we have just lost touch with nature and, you know, and, and, and we need to find a way to reconnect with nature if we want to survive, basically, right? I mean, Adri, what's your take on this? Yeah, I agree with um, Leonard and I, and your take on it, Alex. I mean, um, doing things uh, in an industrious way has shown to be very um, unadvantageous for the long term of the uh, farmers itself. Um, now the discourse is about looking back and thinking what do we miss, what do we what were what was what was good in the past uh, that have, that has served us well in maintaining our you know species uh, livelihood for so many thousand years and I think um, this you know regenerative agriculture is not something new it's something that was being always been done before let's say the industrial revolution and thinking back to ancestors um, um, way of thinking and way of life I think we have to find that nuggets of gold there in the past to serve us in the future yeah for sure can you maybe quickly explain um, what the difference is between organic farming um, which I think a lot of customers are maybe a little bit more familiar with because organic products have become pr pretty popular I would say um, so how, how does that practice differ from regenerative agriculture? Is there a major difference? Yeah, so basically in organic um, agriculture, um, the elimination or the main point is the elimination of, uh, of industrial output, inputs, right? Um, it's mainly to do one specific thing, which is to reduce chemical and um, uh, chemical inputs and industrial uh, inputs. On the other hand, regenerative agriculture is going beyond that. You know, um, it is something uh, holistic altogether um, that encompasses all different aspects of uh, agriculture, so that it is not only sustainable but also beneficial economically. Uh, ecologically but also socially in mass, um, yeah, socially for the farmers going forward you know it's, it's, it's all about all-encompassing things it's just not one it's not just one you know elimination of a, an input rather it's a rather it's a diversified input um, and hopefully it will uh, give also a diversified output great Thank you. Leonard, how did you get interested in this subject? I mean, you are trading uh, uh, coffee uh, and already, you know, for quite some time. Uh, and you have always wanted to work with smaller, um, smaller farmers, uh, communities um, to give them an opportunity to reach buyers. Um, but how did you get interest, interested in this particular subject? Uh, it actually also came from my uh my experience with organic farming and with uh, with uh farmers transitioning to organic farming i thought 
I mean, the, the, I really dislike uh, the way that certification works. Um, you tell farmers uh, what to do. You go and you uh, create an audit. You tell them especially what not to do. And, um, in, and, and farmers are actually promised uh, a higher price for, for goods uh, while having a lot of extra work for it. So it's really this higher price uh that is promised to them that is the reason that they're doing it and uh and and all of that comes from uh the market so this is something that is pushed in a sense onto onto farmers whole countries have gone to really becoming a slave almost to this certification of course it's brought benefits to to uh farms and farmers um in the shape of you know using less chemicals but it still remains something very top down. And what I love about regenerative when I first saw it is that it's, it comes from the farmers. It is, it is, it is a, it is, it is very much in line with our trade philosophy is we want to have healthy, independent, uh, communities that understand their crop, that understand the market. Um, but also means understanding the nature around them and understanding how nature can serve them. Um, and yes, that in, I mean, the, the, the promises of chemical fertilizers and, and pesticides are all, they're all lies. In the end, it, 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 you create less robust systems that require more and more input. So you will, you, in this way, you do create um, more independence by, by um, finding alternatives for or this that come from nature, which are which require creativity. It requires a lot of, um, yeah, training. Uh, we call we actually call you know you have labor intensive agriculture and you have capital intensive agriculture. This is thought intensive agriculture. This is really you. Requ it requires a lot of uh, training into finding the right solution that fits exactly for your land using the local species and the local. Um, physics even of the of the ground so yeah because uh, if i if i think of organic farming personally i mean i'm not an expert of course but um, if i think of organic farming the way i you know picture it is okay um you are growing let's say uh, a specific crop and instead of using a lot of uh, pesticides herbicides other fertilizers etc you're using maybe organic um, versions of those products or you're not using any of those products at all, but you're still maybe growing a monocrop uh, versus, you know, having a very diverse um, farm with loads of different crops where loads of different species can live with loads of different, um, yeah, sort of bio with, with a very high biodiversity. And, and the way I, the way I, yeah, the way I imagine regenerative agriculture, on the other hand, is, you know, you look at a piece of land and see what's there and you kind of try to build your practices around that rather than against it. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's a, in, in a way, organic farming, it, forcing farmers or telling them to, to, to be organic, it, it, it introduces a lot of vulnerability. It's uh, if if people don't know what they're they're doing, then you like to wean the 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 coffee off of uh, chemicals takes a long time. It's like 
it's like a heroin addict you know you can't go cold turkey one day then then it, it really requires a very long-term plan to make plants and soils less addicted to to the land otherwise really um terrible right. things can happen yeah okay audrey uh i'd like to go back to you can you maybe explain to me uh what your local situation is i mean where first of all where are you based exactly in indonesia and also what is your perspective on you know the sort of local farming culture i would say and and how you know how have you established yourself in in terms of regenerative agriculture to try and change uh the local understanding of how this works yeah yeah so um we are based in indonesia um in indonesia there are multiple um, areas of coffee development um, there are there are areas that practices industrial size you know farming uh, practices but there are also uh, very uh, other areas that practices very small family-based uh, organic farming and there are also other other areas where it is is using um, Uh, what Leonard uh, once told me is about organic by default practices, something like that. And um, this discourse about regenerative agriculture is kind of timely because in Indonesia last year, um, we had a very bad coffee season. Um, basically, all year round, we don't have um, we don't have a dry season. Therefore, it's all it's very wet. And um, and I going back to what Leonard said about um, organic farming. I think it it shows you know once you uh, if you just focusing on organic, you reduce and you introduce a vulnerability in the system, and that happens in that happens in Indonesia in places like Sulawesi and Flores where the main usual uh, practices are organically by default uh, practices uh, because of the rain and because of the high intensity of the weather um, crops are fa failing up to 60 to 70 percent compared to last year uh, some is even some even up to 80 uh, percent Uh, and it's not <laughs> and it's normal it's not it's not just an extreme case in an average it's 70 to 80 percent um, so it it shows that there is a very big vulnerability uh, in the system of coffee that we have now um, so the the logical question is why why is that um, it's it, there are always question of you know who's for uh, is it is it because of the farmer itself they like knowledge for example or number two is it the the fault of the um, the market you know or is it just the fault of the earth that warms up you know as they, as they like um but so what's your what's your take on this is it a mix of everything because i think a lot of the times It also has to do with the short-sightedness of governments. I mean, you know, I 
I personally, you know, I remember 15 years ago, I was in the rainforest of Borneo doing a biodiversity volunteer project. At the time, I was working for tobacco, <laughs> so not one of the best companies to, you know, stand for uh, health and, and whatever. But, you know, I witnessed firsthand when I was there the deforestation that was going on in that part of the world. Um, and of course, you know, when we went to these oil plantations, you could see that this was a, a perfect example of monoculture on an industrial scale where whatever was there in terms of biodiversity was being eradicated. There was no space for any animals. There was no space for any other plants. And the government was basically creating these farms with a sort of very short term view that it wanted to create some profit today rather than preserving something for future generations. Is that the same in this respect, for example, in Indonesia? Exactly. Yeah, it's almost the same. Um, uh, coffee wants to once held as a very big export crop until the 1960s, 1970s. Um, so in many ways, um, the, the, the problem that farmer faces today in Indonesia is a, as a result of um, bad short sightedness, as you said, in the 1670s that still ripples until today. Um, and some farmers have adopted some farmers but majority haven't uh, that's the that's just the um, the nature of it some government are responsive but the majority is not um, and it, it yeah so the solution is always where the third party you know us you know the 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 the, the private you know the private uh, ngo um, the third private third party exporters, uh, buyers, consumers needs to drive this change. You know that right. because the farmers, um, yeah. I think the farmers, and and I'll bring Leonard in here in a second, obviously because he he will also know how it is in other parts of the world. But you know, I've spoken with quite a lot of farmers over the years, and you know, often when there is a trend, let's say for example, experimental fermentation. Uh, processing methods, um, oftentimes these are also driven, you know, by the buyers. So coffee roasters, for example, go to farmers and say, I want to have a coffee that tastes like, you know, the strawberry cheesecake that my grandma made. And the farmer will find some varietal and some processing method to create a coffee that tastes like that. I mean, that's what one farmer from Brazil told me, you know, two years ago in a conversation. And I found that really interesting. So um, maybe I'll go to Leonard now. Leonard, can you maybe explain to me what you're hearing from your customers, from the coffee roasters? What are they you know, looking for in terms of, I don't know, not certifications necessarily, but maybe credentials or maybe uh, mission statements or you know, values from producers? Mm. And you mean specifically about ferment fermentation? Process, no, no, no. No, I meant more. I meant more in terms of, you know, uh, for example, uh, farming practices, you know, are people yeah. asking, you know, what, you know, what kind of practices do the farmers employ, things like that. Yeah, now we, we actually um, um, are very happy to take more and more the role of the, let's say the, the educator in this, because we, for example, on our, on our um, web shop we show or which coffees are organic by default 
which coffees are organic certified, um, and which coffees come from a system that is planned regenerative, planned regenerative agroforestry. And I think that already, even if you show with di different icons that people can look for uh, something more than just organic certified or not organic certified, you know, if you want to have a, a, a coffee that comes from a place that did not use uh, chemical fertilizer, well, there's plenty of them, but that doesn't mean that it's the best type of agriculture. It just means that the farmers in most cases don't have the knowledge and the money to do anything differently. So, uh, but it is organic. And the other case, sometimes it's not organic certified, um, but people have all the knowledge, like in, in, in Colombia, to make, uh, to make regenerative systems and to really pass that on to their community. So um, I think people weren't looking for it that much, but um, ever since last year, since our regenerative um, producer crossover, where we got together farmers from 15 countries, including Adri, uh, to talk about this subject, I think more and more we, we are, yeah, we, we are able to transfer this knowledge and gather it also, harvest it from, from, from our larger community, which is super exciting. Actually, this is maybe a good opportunity. I wanted to bring this up later, but maybe now that you've mentioned it, I wanted to ask you, um, how are you trying to create more knowledge and understanding uh, in both directions? You know, as a kind of middleman, you are, you know, connect connecting with people like Adri, like other producers in other countries and other parts of the world that have very different ecosystems that are maybe not experiencing what Adri is experiencing in Indonesia, where it's almost wet season all year round, um, but, you know, who are facing different challenges. And I guess bringing the farmers together at this a summit, like what you just mentioned, is one way to exchange knowledge. But how do you also communicate, for example, towards the roasters and other people down the sort of consumer chain you know, that we need to pay more attention to these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good uh, question. I mean, nothing beats actual direct contact between the roaster and the farmer. I mean, that is just solid, solid gold. I mean, what if we have value chains that are empathic, you know, not even, it's not about uh, direct, it's not about um, high prices even, you know, th those, all those things will be a given if people know each other and care for each other and understand each other's uh, perspective, you know, then people might be willing to pay a, a higher price because it's somebody you know and you know what they're going through. And then you think, well, maybe this is nice for specialty coffee, but how can this be scalable to, uh, to, to large coffee? Well, um, it is, you know, it, it, transparency is very easy to, uh, to, to, to do if, if you work with partners like Adri, like everyone we work with uh, who, are, who, who, who understand what we want uh, to achieve, that, that, you know, we want to bring the farmers out of this darkness, you know, and to show to the world what, what, their, uh, what their problems are. And direct communication is one thing. Of course, we understand not everyone can do that. Then um, podcasts are amazing, Alex. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> like this kind of just uh, blogs, everything. You know, people people look to us more and more for this. And I, um, yeah, I, I um, we we have a growing team of people who are really 
care and want to bring these stories uh, to life more because we don't have we don't have as much time as we want. Like I spoke to Adri yesterday. I hadn't spoken to him since the summer. So like we 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 really um, yeah. Time flies when you're when you're busy uh, changing the world, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> that's how it is. Um, I would like to know about this project that you guys worked on together on the island of Flores. Adri, can you explain to me what that was and also tell me a little bit about the natural conditions on the island that made this a good candidate for this uh, pilot, I would say, right? It was kind of a pilot. Yeah, so um... Flores right now was actually one of the first coffee that we exported to Leonard. I think it was in 2016 the first time it was. Um, I when we spoke about the um, about the condition there, I I told him that Flores is kind of one of the poorest region in Indonesia. Um, it's, there's not much happening there because they can't they can't grow anything in in a uh, you know in an industrial in a um, sustainable way because the soil is not very good um, the topography is hilly um, you would scarcely have a three hectares of flat land in in flores there and um, and so coffee is basically what is all what they have um, but because of you know because of this situation it becomes an an economic um, dilemma because um, for them they need to you know they need to sustain coffee because coffee has a good buyer coffee has a good ecosystem of buyers sellers and supply chain etc um, and but because of they are relying on coffee they are sub, uh, they are substitute substituting more and more uh, native plants uh, with coffees uh, you know to supplement their yield um, because it's their yield isn't very good anyway from the first uh, from the first place so uh, I was speaking about this with Leonard about this dilemma and I think um, what he proposed about the you know the uh, practices or the values of re, uh, regenerative agriculture hits a very good nerve um, the 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 idea is just to what if you could introduce an economically viable crop that is a suitable with the uh, local topography Number two could complement coffee in terms of not only economic but also in terms of human resources, capital resources, and also um, uh, time resources also. Um, and three, build a very good ecosystem uh, around it. So it's not only you know it's not only uh, the ecosystem of the nature but also ecosystem in terms of value chain. Um, investments uh, and then also knowledge tools um, so yeah that's that's what we uh, we've discussed so we tried uh, in 2021 to have a small pilot um, we discussed on ways on how we could introduce this concept to farmers and 
uh, talking about farmers is all it's about talking about you know in in our in our discourse you know in the western discourse um, uh, regenerative agriculture is about carbon secretion and you know climate change and that i understand i totally agree with that but speaking in the language of farmers is more towards diversification of risks in the end so we introduce yeah. we want to yeah so it's the same concept but different totally different because, conversation with because one of the things that you know is is one of the biggest problems i think you know in in this day and age is that if you're relying just on one crop and you have a natural catastrophe or you have some kind of infestation or you have a disease your whole uh, economy collapses because you are so dependent on this one crop um, and if you've you know if if the situation is as as you just mentioned in flores where nothing much else grows of course this island is is really at risk of you know becoming a victim of some disaster if it does not diversify or invest in uh, alternative crops so I read in your documents that you chose to plant pepper, avocado, and durian. I'm very curious to know yeah. why those crops in particular were chosen. Yeah. Uh, so we, on, in our design, we set up uh, um, a short-term, medium-term, and long-term um, objective that we could have, you know. Uh, so the short term is that we need to have a plant that is ready to be harvested in two to two three years. Um, uh, number two, the medium term, we need to find around four to five years, and then uh, and then uh, the long term is how what can be achieved in ten to fifteen years. So I think it these three crops fit into that narrative where pepper, for example. Uh, doing correctly, you could harvest it in two three years, quickly, um, very um, scalable and very quickly. Uh, in the medium term, there's avocado uh, because uh, th that could supplement. That is already something that already introduced, so they they, they already have a market there. And durian is it's a it's a very complementary um, complementary plant. Not only because of the economic value, because you know durian prices is quite high, <laughs> uh, but also in terms of its role in the ag uh, regenerative uh, design, fits perfectly well in complementing the coffee. So um, durian, uh, durian's uh, very hardy wood, so it deflects wind. Um, they reducing the risk of uh, monsoon, uh, wind, uh, and uh, storms. Uh, with avocado is a very good, um, how you call it, um, shading trees. Um, that could complement well with coffee. And what else can you plant around the uh, the coffee plants? You know, there's pepper that you there's very little need for footprints there so you could plant it around the um, the coffee trees you know basically so i uh, so this is the design that we choose uh, so we um we see that um, 
these three uh, crops uh, hopefully could uh, at least have an economic value in the short term and medium term but also uh, has a very important role in not only protecting um, the coffee itself but also the whole system you know the whole uh, the right, system right. in the farms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Leonard, uh, let's go back to you. And I'd like to le learn a little bit more about uh, the other participants at the summit you organized uh, last year. Can you tell me to what degree, you know, other communities around the world are implementing this practice? How advanced are they? Are there other pilots you're working on um, around the world? Yes. Um, the first pilot we started was in Rwanda which, uh, as you remember, was the first country that we started working with uh, in 2013. In 2000, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, in 2018, we started uh, to um, make a regenerative plot at Rushashi, um, which, so now we actually have the first results in already. We want to have, I think the, the best way to go is to make a demonstration plot because farmers can be quite stubborn. You know, you have to really show that something works that they can feel and touch and see before uh, they will copy it or uh, endorse it. And uh, I mean, it's also a big risk for them, you know, exactly, because exactly. At, at the end of the day, we're speaking about small scale farmers, often, you know, families whose um, life livelihoods depend on 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 the output of their small farms. They can't yeah. experiment so easily, right? No, exactly. If you are under constant economic pressure, um, you don't have the headspace to do these things. And, um, and, and that's, that's what we aim to show. So we start with one progressive farmer and um, um, yeah, develop a plot in that way. And it's beautiful. We were there last May just to see how, how closely this coffee farm now mimics um, the, the, the local forest, you know, but it's a productive forest. It contains uh, squash, it contains beans, it contains coffee, it contains, uh, um, gentropa, all kinds of like that. That's something they use for making fires instead of wood. So we, so those type, we have that a project in Colombia with um, with with Juan Pablo uh, Lasso Argote. Um, in Sri Lanka, that's the newest origin that we have. We actually started importing uh, spices because we were there in April, and we thought, wow, exactly as you said, Alex, you know. If you're dependent on one crop, um, you're fucked. If somebody, if something goes, if something goes wrong, and um, the, the these people they that we work with, they have forty different crops, all all, and they and they have a direct market for that. Are we creating a market for cinnamon, for uh, pepper, for even medicinal herbs? You know, there there is so much that can be used locally and sold. So we really, we, we're really redefining our, our role in the value chain. We're not a, we're, yeah, we, we are really an agent of the farmer, not even an agent of the coffee farmer. If, if there are other crops that come uh, onto, from, from their fields, then we will do our best to find a market for it. It's super exciting also to now be involved in things like cinnamon and yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> diversifying. Yeah. You are diversifying also. I mean, you're also yeah, not relying exactly. on one crop. Um, tell me, I, I'm just I just want to quickly touch upon this because we have spoken about the general practice and general uh, to, the, the topic in general, but we haven't really 
gone quite as deep on the coffee side. You just mentioned the Rushashi um, pilot that you started about, you know, uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, have you, or the farmers, have you noticed a tangible difference in the uh, cup taste or the cup score of the coffees produced there after they moved over to this regenerative agriculture for their own farm? No. No, that's the short answer. I mean, it's not gotten worse. It's not gotten better. But what has uh, uh, changed especially is the, uh, the cost. So the cost of, uh, of um, getting organic fertilizers, which they usually have to buy, to making their own fertilizers, uh, reusing uh, kitchen waste and manure. So it's, 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 it's more of a, for, for now, like I'm convinced that, that there will be a taste difference at some point. I mean, if I look at the, here in Portugal where I live, the difference between apples grown in a monoculture and apples grown in a in, 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 in regenerative system, they, there's definitely a flavor difference. But I, 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 we aren't so far yet that we know that for sure um, with... Uh, with a, with regenerative coffee, we are we are sure that the system is healthier and that it's less risk for a farmer if they do it correctly. Thank you, um, Audrey. Maybe going back to you, and then I'd like to also invite Leonard to comment on this. Are you guys uh, in touch with governments? Are you working with other organizations that are trying to make this practice more accessible to smaller farmers? Uh, because as we mentioned earlier, you know, there is also a significant opportunity cost involved and a risk uh, for farmers if they, you know, change their ways um, that, you know, they don't know if it's going to work out for them. They don't know how long it will take. Um, many farmers, you know, they they don't have a huge uh, pile of savings that they can fall back on in case something doesn't work out. Um, so how, how are maybe governments in certain origin countries or other organizations helping to make this more accessible? Maybe Adri, you can speak to us from the perspective of Indonesia. Is the government working with you guys? Yeah. Um, uh, if we're talking about government in Indonesia, it's more towards local government. Um, so as i said um, in the beginning there are some local governments that are responsive uh, responsive to this uh, idea we spoke to um, a few um, local governments uh, for example in in sulawesi in, in the area of lugu they are very welcoming about this concept we we spoke to them about the project that we had in flores and thinking about implementing it there and yeah, they're very um, they're very welcoming, but there are other governments uh, in neighboring Enrekang, for example, that is quite defensive and they don't think it's necessary worth of the investment they had, because they see it uh, as a conflicting um, objective of improving yields, uh, so specific, um, so. Yeah, um, because, you know, like many governments are run by politicians, it's all about the promises they make. <laughs> and uh, the most promises they make are about subsidies, you know, subsidies of um, 
certain uh, kinds of uh, product and in many ways in many instances it's more towards subsidies of fertilizers because they are very close-knit um, chemical that is so um, it's not being it's not being very you know it's being not smooth sailing so there are some government that is doing that um, whereas actually you know the the private third party the NGOs the uh, non-governments are quite much more helpful in a, in a way and I think uh, they are a, they are, they are a very um, very good partners in the in this chain um, organizations like Ricolto uh, and then Walhi WWF they all have been very supportive of this uh, effort that we had so it's um it's a it's a mixed still bag. a mountain to climb yeah it's a mixed bag and it's still a mountain to climb to really make it yeah. as a big you know big scale issue in indonesia yeah. right right thank you leonard what about uh, other countries what's your experience there are other countries uh, more um, open to this on a larger scale or is it as Adri just mentioned, largely local governments in provinces or maybe even particular regions that uh, are getting behind this or not. Yeah, I I was thinking while Adri was talking whether I could find a single example of um, government supporting regenerative agriculture, and I I can't. It, it's it's uh, says uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it it, it it's all. I mean, governments are never going to. And are never going to uh, come up with something uh, new and innovative. They they are always one step behind. You know, it's it's a matter of us showing and showing and showing and showing until there's enough data, uh, so that uh, some progressive uh, politicians will get behind it. And that's I think what the phase where we're, that we're in right now. Right. Okay. Thank you to you both. Maybe as a closing uh, thought, you know, if I as a consumer or as a roaster you know want to find out more like what what would be the best way for me to do that wow yeah i mean right now it's kind of the wild west you know this whole regenerative uh thing it's kind of like uh you know blockchain and carbon credits and stuff like that there's so much um there's so much written about it. There's a lot of amazing articles like and, and documentaries, you know, Kiss the Ground is an amazing one. Um, the biggest little farm. Uh, the, mm -hmm. There I are more, and, <laughs> yeah, there are, there are more and more. I think that's the best way. This is, it's a, once you understand it, it's a very easy concept because it's, it's, it's working with nature, you know, but, and, but, but I really encourage people to get the visual story. You know, so go and find go and find documentaries and things like this. But I also want to say that there is large companies are also starting to learn and abuse the term. So um, like governments, large uh, coffee companies, they are shouting regenerative everywhere and um, yeah, making making promises uh, that we have to we have to look out for. We are really in a place we need to differentiate our message from them and really show that you know through transparency we can find the real story and it's not just uh, a story yeah 
That's a great thought to end on. Thank you so much to both of you for being here today and for sharing your thoughts on this very important subject. And uh, yeah, you know, we can all do our own part to try and uh, advance uh, the knowledge about this and how we impact our own, you know, how our own impact on nature can be uh, can be changed. So thank you to you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. That was it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heard It on the Coffee Vine. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, just hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you get your podcasts. And to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at The Coffee Vine, visit our website, thecoffeevine.com, or send us an email to hello at thecoffeevine.com. And remember, coffee is only good when it's shared. Until next time. Bye.